Hi, everybody. Welcome to Equestrian. I'm Caroline, and I'm here with my co-host today, Annie. Hi, everybody. And today we're going to touch on the topic of rehab. This is um, not always a fan favorite, uh, just because it can be so emotionally draining. But this is a topic that is near and dear to me at the moment, as well as Caroline, for better or for worse. And we have a couple of bullet points that we think we can bring out into the world that have helped us get through our challenging rehab situations. So let's get started. I'm really excited for today because I think a lot of people talk about rehabbing horses. They don't talk through rehabbing horses from various injuries Mm -hmm. and what that looks like. And I'm super excited for the breakdown that I think you especially have to contribute to today. So I'm really tickled to just hear about it from you as well. Woohoo. I'm sure that's the least fun thing to be like, I can't wait to contribute all of my knowledge about rehabbing a horse. (laughs) All of my sadness. (laughs) (laughs) All of my sadness. All of my tears. And money. Um, And moolah. But I digress. I think most of us aspire to actually be riders. And regardless of what your goals are, if you want to trail ride, if you're a competitor, if you're an amateur, you're somewhere in between... Um, horses are the most fragile creatures on the entire planet. I swear, probably more so than like a jellyfish or something you could mush in your hands. Um, so they're in anyone's process in this industry. If you've been in it for long enough, which give or takes about 12 minutes, um, you will encounter a horse that has an injury and needs some sort of rehabbing. And that is, can be incredibly daunting. Um, and as riders, we like to ride. We don't like to be grounded. And, um, so we wanted to just talk through some points that we think are really, uh, an important part of what that process looks like. And, um, I myself on a small scale have dealt with this lately and Annie has just been like the champion of, if there mm-hmm. was a class on rehabbing, you would be, you would have a rosette and a half. Live in La Vida Rehab. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So why don't you tell us a little bit more about what that uh, specifically means for you? Uh, Well, I have two horses. I have had my third level horse, I think for maybe nine years. And so she's been like the soundest thing, knock on wood. And and I have a six-year-old horse that I bought as a foal thinking, wow, you just can't get any better than that. You don't inherit anybody other's, anybody else's problems. It's going to be sound. It's going to be healthy. Um, and it has been a bit of a struggle. She had surgery when she was 10 months old for some – it was elected surgery. Um, but that was a rehab process in and of itself for like a 10-month-old baby. Um, and then now since – now that we live out here in California – She's been diagnosed with a, a back injury that has been given a pretty long timeline for for recovery. It's been in, so far we've been doing it for about a year, and in that process, my other horse Lily had a slight suspensory strain just in just through you know normal work, and so I was for a brief like three to four month period rehabbing both of my horses. And that was such a challenge emotionally, financially, um, like investing time. 
um, just not feeling like you're riding. There, there were just so many layers. It can be demoralizing because it was so comprehensive. Yeah, exactly. So in this process, I developed, with Caroline's help, 10 bullet points of things that I felt like were really important entering into a rehab to be successful. So if you all don't mind bearing with us, I think we're just going to head through these 10 bullet points and then Caroline and I can touch on each point individually and kind of add a, a bit of flesh them out a little bit knowledge or yeah. So Caroline, do you want to talk a little bit about the rehab that you are currently going through? Yeah. So I'm on the tail end of a short term um, rehab. Uh, so I moved in fall of last year, um, my mayor from where I lived in Maryland down to Virginia. And I feel like every this can resonate with everybody, like finding a vet, finding a barn, like that's a little bit challenging. Finding a farrier has got to be the most stressful component of a move because it's so much art and science together. And what one farrier does that somebody might love isn't going to work for another horse. I digress. Long story short, my horse... We got a shoe job that was a disaster from a farrier that came very highly recommended. She has never had soundness issues uh, to speak of. She went lame almost immediately. I hauled her back and had her redone by the gentleman who had been doing her previously and tried to rectify as much as he could. She has not been 100% since then. And we would kind of like think we got it resolved. She'd be okay for a couple months. Then she was um, wasn't resolved. And then they were like, well, it looks like it, the, the change in angles and the radical shoe change, it may have triggered, um, a little bit of a deep digital flexor tendon. She just kind of tweaked it a little bit, but then long-term as a result, that could have triggered some sort of navicular change. I was like, you gotta be freaking kidding me. What? And then, um, so I had, um, and then you kind of throw into that this whole coronavirus thing where like everybody's been closed and it was mm-hmm. just kind of, um, so she didn't work consistently all winter. And then, um, we had some x-rays done and she does not have navicular changes. Hallelujah. And any soft tissue injury or tweak, so to speak, um, I, I say more of a misalignment more so than an injury, um, was had just changed how her bony column in her um, hoof and lower limb were aligned. So we got that tweaked with like a pretty aggressive shoe job. She was sound again within 10 days. That was four weeks ago. She's been progressively building back up in work and uh, is provided that nothing goes awry in the future is, you know, has a clear trajectory to resume full work by, I would say, the beginning of the summer. So awesome. that was my very short-term yeah. adventure on rehab lane. But it's still a challenge, nonetheless. It was a convenient challenge <clears throat> in that every I had really worked on this year being a big competitive year for us, which kind of just, <clears throat> for lack of a better yeah. expression. But the upside is we literally missed nothing because everything's been canceled anyway. So that was absolutely That's the most convenient time. <laughs> Yeah, because I had a big, um, I had a big show year planned with my older mayor. I shouldn't say older, my more seasoned mayor. Yeah. Um, and I was really bummed to find this 
this injury, I don't know, like four months ago. But then like since then, nothing's happened in the past four months. So I feel a little less bad about it. I'm like, well, we just got some R&R and now we're like coming back and ready to go. So yeah, that's, that's exactly <laughs> that. That rehab has been a little less emotionally traumatic. The other one that's been going on for about a year, that one's been a little bit more of a challenge for me. And I should why say specifically you, what it is. Yeah. Why don't you she, specifically talk through that a little bit? So we're not entirely sure how it happened, but she's been showing very subtle signs and symptoms of a back injury since she was probably two, but they were not enough to, in and of themselves, like, be indicative of an injury because she remained sound for many years. Um, But the latest theory is that she could have perhaps perhaps injured her back either on the table when she had surgery as a a weanling or um, in recovery from the surgery. So it could have been something that, so she has a, she has a degenerative disc in her lumbosacral, her lumbosacral disc. Um, So what that means is the lumbosacral disc is one of the larger places of flexion in the back. It's kind of what, like the biggest thing that helps their pelvis kind of engage and collect. Um, so for a dressage horse, it's pretty important. And when her when she tries to engage and flex her pelvis, the the disc doesn't this is to my understanding, the disc doesn't hold this the joint space healthy and open enough. So you get some impingement of nerve uh, at times, or there's just like through this long process, some of these nerves have kind of stopped efficiently communicating with muscles and some of them either through pain or just compensation have kind of turned off. So she, her back injury manifests as a right hind like weakness or lameness. And so it took quite a long time to diagnose precisely what it is. A lot of people or a lot of vets were kind of going over her back and there's certainly nothing evident on palpation. Um, she would always flex sound because it's not a problem with a limb or a joint in the limb. Uh, so it took quite a bit of effort. And for a while she was um, thought to be narcoleptic because she wasn't lying down normally at night. So she started to struggle with some sleep deprivation issues. So it was a really weird diagnosis that I feel very fortunate to have ultimately found Um, But since then, it's been quite a long process of unraveling some like kind of the years of compensatory issues in trying to find the right diagnosis and putting all of those weird symptoms together. Um, And I think in that you've come to a really neat place, kind of a a unique opportunity, if you will, where you are rehabbing um, bone, nerves soft tissue and a long span of like compensatory and compromise oriented kind of movement, um, mm-hmm. which is kind of, I don't know. I would imagine that even like a shorter term catastrophic injury would be easier to rehab than something mm-hmm. that involves so many different systems and over such a prolonged period of time. Mm-hmm. 
It's kind yeah. of like goes back to like the don't ever let them know that they're hurting because they remember it so mm-hmm. much. And she has, you know, if not been hurting, has just been systematically compensating for such a while that you are physically having to reawaken nerves and muscles and reconvey, mm-hmm. not even just to her mentally, but to her physically, that those body mm-hmm. parts are capable of working correctly and there's not pain associated with that. Mm-hmm. So that's been that's been kind of the second half of the year has been once we could get her reasonably comfortable. And what did getting her sound, comfortable entail? We the the main thing that seems to work for her is a PRP injection directly into her disc, so it's platelet rich plasma. They spin it off of her own blood and then re inject it back into her disc, and that ain't cheap. But we've had two PRP injections. And that's a great point, um, or I guess a, the the juncture of kind of entering into that PRP and finally getting a good diagnosis and a, a, an aggressive and proactive but realistic treatment plan kind of speaks to what you were able to get out of um, the first bullet point that you have. Yeah, so that kind of helps us, now that we know what we're talking about with all three of our different horses, it's kind of a nice segue into the bullet points of rehab and remaining sane. So the first thing that I found was most important was to have a team of vets that you know and trust and can have regular access to. You want to, I think, have a vet that aligns with your mindset, um, but Mm -hmm. not so aligns with your mindset that there's never any alternative or any pushback. Like if you have a tendency to be more aggressive in how you like to treat things, it's important to have a vet that also is aggressive in how they treat things, but not so blindly so that they're not like, hey, this isn't the time. Or like if you have a tendency to be really conservative and you have a really conservative vet, like I guess you kind of want to find that sweet spot where you have this, it's kind of like a marriage to a degree. Like you want to have somebody that it thinks is. the way that you think, but did you have like some complementary differences? What I, what I would kind of say. Yeah. And you need to, I, I think, cause a lot of people I've seen other people go through the same process of um, losing faith in their vet. And then they hop back and forth to different clinics and it really just ends up wasting a lot of time and money. It's a tremendous amount of money. There's nothing wrong with second opinions, but I think that there are so many different opinions out there that you can spend a lot of time like ping-ponging around and it's just best to do a bunch of research initially and have someone that you align with really well and that make sure that the diagnosis like makes sense to you and feels right and then try not to deviate from that path. Um, and to be said like that you know, that doesn't necessarily have to be the vet that you like the most, but it may be the vet that you respect the most. It may not be the vet mm-hmm. that's your best of friends, but it may be the vet that can really meet you where you're at and help you progress forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what you mentioned a minute ago um, really speaks to the second bullet point of like, a, you know, a, a vet that can help you work through this process and not hopscotching back and forth all over the place because you want to hear a certain thing when that thing just may not be hearable, um, mm-hmm. you know, and to have somebody that can work with you. Mm-hmm. So that's a great point. The second bullet point I have is make sure that you do independent research for your own understanding of your diagnosis. And this can be tricky because a lot of times when you start Googling things, you can get like really pulled into a thousand different directions and needlessly worry or freak out. And so you want to make sure that you are researching like credible sources and that you could perhaps ask even your vet, hey, do you have any like 
great studies that I could read or what's a good website for me to better understand this or like see if they'll give you some information or give you some more resources because it's really important. It's just like when you go to a doctor, you're your best advocate and you have to be the best advocate for your horse. Your, your vet does the best that they can with the knowledge that you give them and that the horse gives them, but nobody knows your horse better than you do. So you being as informed as possible is really in your best interest and your horse's best interest. And I have to caution in conjunction with that is like doing research does not mean going on Facebook and posting a question or a comment. I know a lot of people see value in that, but you are asking, in my opinion, I would not consult uh, like a social media platform for feedback that I consider to be credible because for every credible answer that you're going to get, you're going to get 15 wrong, speculative, or just off the rails or uneducated answers. And I would rather deal in facts from reliable sources than opinions from people you don't even know. Yeah, I would agree. It's, it's the kind of like, no, it's just kind of like knowing how you would use that as a resource. And, And Facebook or other social media platforms might be great for like, hey, I've decided to use this alternative therapy. Does anybody have a great reference for who might be able to provide it? And you're going to get like a thousand different opinions and you can weigh all of that. But it's probably not the best place to learn about your diagnosis, I would agree. And if nothing else, certainly shouldn't be the, you know, primary uh, yeah. source. Cause just like you wouldn't, you know, walk into a crowd full of people and be like, everybody tell me what you think about this. You know, you're not going to yeah. get <laughs> the best information. I was going to say, and you mentioned this a second ago as a good way of using social media is, um, you know, seeking out alternative therapies. There are so many just really, really cool supplementary therapeutic modalities that are out there for restoration, recovery, pain relief, enhanced muscle function, so many things that we are so privileged to have that run the gamut of, you know, expenses, which we've talked, we talked a little bit about in our resources um, podcast, where we talked about like really finding a way to figure out what you need and if it aligns what you need to do. Um, So I think point number one would be um, understand which ones work for you and understand that you have more at your disposal than just like a carte blanche treatment. Hmm. I think, and I did a lot of, um, in understanding and researching alternative therapies, I did, a, I asked my vet before I did absolutely anything. Yes. And I was, 100%. um, that would be starting point number of, one. Hey vet, what, yeah. mo- what therapeutic, whatever can I use to supplement this? Yeah. Cause sometimes they're like, Oh, that's going to be, this therapy is going to be totally the opposite of what you want to be doing for your whatever rehab. Um, and a lot of times the answer is, and you also kind of have to know who you're talking to. A lot of times, a lot of times my vet said like, well, I don't think it's going to help, but it also don't think it's going to hurt. And that was all I needed to know was like, if it's not going to hurt, then, you know, there, I'm willing to try. I just did a lot of dabbling and a lot of experimenting as long as I knew that it couldn't do any harm. And you found what worked specifically for her. And I think I did. That- yeah. That, you know, that kind of speaks to the bullet point number five. Like, you know, it's kind of like a, can you adopt a throw everything at the wall and look what sticks sort of thing? What is your specific financial budget for that rehab? And what does that look like as far as treatment, long-term treatment, balancing the treatment, 
do you want to spend all of your money now on therapeutic modalities? And then six months down the road, find out that you need another expensive treatment. And that mm-hmm. would have yielded a 90% improvement with your horse. But instead, you've blown your budget on, you know, therapeutic enhancements that are not going to get you quite that improvement. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, totally I continue. <laughs> um, okay, so that was point number three, alternative therapies. And then point number four is have a clear understanding of your rehab timeline. I mark mine on a calendar. Um, I get I excited like- and I skip to number five. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> We're going to get there. Um, I mark my timeline on a calendar. I mark, like, I mark, I happen to use a passion planner, so I keep it all in my planner just so that I see it very regularly. Um, I mark, like, the date of injury, and then I, you know, I mark, like, several months in advance. I'm, like, one month post-injury, two months, and I just mark it all out in the future. And then I also, on a daily basis, um, try and take little notes, like, Nora felt like poop today, or you know, really forward, really reaching, like great day. Um, and then I also mark like important points of therapies or if I make any changes. Um, and, and that's I helpful to, to your also... vet and your practitioner, your, you know, other practitioners yeah. that you use mm-hmm. too, because you, sometimes we remember things wrong, especially if they've been going on for a quite a lot while. of times. Yeah. And then you can be like concrete fact. Here is how I know that we're progressing in this way. Here is how I know that this yeah. is working or here is how I know that this isn't working. And you have that tangible timeline to refer to. Exactly. And I also mark every week, um, like every Sunday as I finish the week, I kind of summarize. I, this is all like passion planning stuff, but I do like my like a summary of the week. I look at what was what good things that happened, bad things that happened. And then I look forward to the next week and I set um, – I set some goals and I set some intentions and that's when I set my rehab for the next week. And I set out, um, you know, like what my, if I'm, how much trotting, how much walking, how much, whatever I'm going to be doing for each of the girls. And, um, so I keep every week, I, I write it down and I set precisely what, they're going to be doing that week. And I think that that also is really helpful to. And it helps your mindset a lot too. Like I remember we were talking about this on the phone a couple of weeks ago where it's easy to feel bogged down and feel like you're not where you're at yet. So you haven't made progress. But then if you look back and you're like, okay, well, six months ago, we couldn't even walk around and now we're exactly. walk track cantering. So we are progressing and we are making improvements, but it's just so tediously slow that you're like, nothing is happening. But if you refer back to your yes. calendar, think you're still trending in the right direction. Yeah. It helps you realize if you're getting ahead of where your horse ought to be, according to your vet's um, timeline. Which I think is very easy to do because we get excited and we're like, oh, they feel good. And when they feel Um, good, you kind of have a tendency to jump ahead. Um, But it also helps you if you're one of the more conservative people. um, It helps you to keep you tracking so that you are making progress because some of that rehab that they give you, like – 10 minutes of trotting that's a lot of trotting and you break it up with different things but then like when you get up to like 20 minutes you're like that is just a lot of trotting and it's it's really good conditioning to to be sure that you're bringing them back in the right way but it takes a lot of diligence and awareness and so it's really good to make sure that you're not falling behind as well agree I think that that's a great and it's helpful in the future too let's say two three down years down the road you have an issue you have an exact specific documented timeline and not just a timeline, but document everything. You have a complete package of what you dealt with. And you can be like, here's what we dealt with two years ago. Here's all the information yes. rather than being like, 
I remember we did this and I remember we did that. And, you know, you, mm-hmm. you know, you know, you've just done a, a diligent job of, like you said, advocating for your horse um, yes. or if you need to sell them in the future or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. Time has a way of really warping, especially when you're in the thick of rehab. Absolutely. Um, so I jumped so that- ahead a minute ago and got excited mm-hmm. um, and started talking about the budget. But this is actually bullet- <laughs> point number five, um, which I think sometimes can be the most daunting part of rehab, not only for the whole rehab aspect of things, but they're expensive to have. And it's really a little bit of a mind game. And it's expensive to think about you're still paying for all of the same things, but now you can't ride. Now you can't progress yes. towards your goals. And perhaps you have more things to pay for with alternative therapies, vet bills, like fancy shoeings. It yeah. So, um, and I think that the setting a financial budget for your rehab in the beginning and then unobjectively adjusting it as needed as you progress and understanding Mm -hmm. where your budget lies responsibly with your lifestyle, responsibly with other commitments that you may have, and then where your goal setting versus sentimental perspective aligns. Do you mm-hmm. want to spend $30,000 rehabbing a horse that you can replace for 15? Do you mm-hmm. want, to, or is it something that you, this specific horse means, and there's no right or wrong. I think you just, it's easy to get lost in, um, in the moment. And I remember, um, when I was a college coach, we would have the kids fill out a form when they came to board that allocated who was financially responsible for their horse. If it wasn't them, it was their parents how much the um, appraised or under a certain value, estimated value of the horse was and what they were willing to spend if something were to happen so that you can have that documented. Because at two o'clock in the morning, when there's blood flying or things being thrown on the table, you don't want to be reexamining your budget at that point in time. You want to have an idea of here's where we stand. There's some wiggle room or there's no wiggle room or my sentiment trumps all or I'm practical in my practicality. Yeah. For me, it's mainly an awareness of like knowing essentially because I've, I've, you know, I've been exceeding my budget, but it's kind of like, it's still good for me to have the budget just to know that I've exceeded it. Just for the sense of like, I've, I recognize I have now entered into crazy territory and like, it's just good to know that I'm at my upper limit and that Mm. I need to start either reining things back in having a higher expectation or just starting to be a little bit more realistic about how things go forward um but or developing a side hustle and coming up with different ways to accommodate that and if that's the direction that you choose to go like you know don't default on your mortgage come up with a side hustle you know or come up with a a way to generate additional income it Um, just helps to hold you accountable so that you realize when you've gone too far you can at least like you're not surprised by it later you're like right all right and again with that documentation you can keep track of things as they accumulate because sometimes too and you can really speak to this that it's not the major expenditures necessarily all the time sometimes it's like the little need a little of this here need a little of this there Mm -hmm. you know fancy Mm -hmm. shoes extra hauling whatever whatever that accumulates and becomes a little bit more of Mm -hmm. uh of a of an obstacle Absolutely. Um, I'm excited um, for this because, you know, goals are my jam. 
Goals are Caroline's uh-huh. jam. So number six is have a clear understanding of your goals as a rider and what you reasonably need to be able to expect from your horse to be happy. And that's for you to be happy and for your horse to be happy so that you're both appropriately um, aligned. Um, and I, I made a note that this should be like relatively similar to how you would think of a pre-purchase exam. Like the first thing your vet's going to say is what does this horse need to do? Or what do you need to be able to ask of this horse? Um, and it's just really fair to keep that in mind and that you can keep reminding your vet as you're going through and reminding yourself, like, this is what I want to be able to do with my horse. This is why I ride. Um, and there might be a point in which retirement, rehoming, or the purchase of another horse is necessary, but it's really important to remain clear. Um, and some people are very happy to say like, oh, my horse can no longer jump. Um, but I'm very happy to just have this animal in my life and I'm going to adapt my riding style to my horse's abilities. And some people are like, you know, I'm an upper level dressage rider and that's what I do. And I'm going to need to retire this horse and find another one or something like that. So. And I think it's important to have that conversation with your vet, which again, goes back to having a vet that you trust, like go to the vet and be like, look, if there gets to be a point in time where you think that we are no longer progressing that's in line with my goals, I need you to tell me. Like, I need you Mm -hmm. to understand that I will not be, I will be unhappy, but I won't be directed at you and I need you to be honest with me. And I think that that's Mm -hmm. an important conversation to have. Like, tell me when enough is enough. Um, Mm -hmm. That way they, or if if your budget changes or if your mindset changes, they need to be kept abreast of that so that they can, you know, come to you with confidence and be like, look, things aren't progressing as we thought that they would. Uh, We need to pivot. Yeah, because it helps to keep you in line with your budget as well. Um, there's no point in, because my, my horse, for example, is quite sound right now, um, but she's not to the point where she is able to be a performance horse. And so that was one of the points that the vet said to me in our last evaluation. She so was like, she's totally fine to go out and be someone's like pleasure animal right now. Um, so by that standard, you could be finished your rehab. And he was like, but I know what you expect of her is more than that. And so here's where we need to start like fine tuning some of your rehab and here's where like the rubber meets the road. So it's all kind of just keeping everybody in the loop as to what your goals are and making sure that you're not spending money needlessly if your horse doesn't need to be like the top tier of whatever or making sure that your vet's aware like, no, I I really need my horse to be like at this level. And so I am willing to spend the extra whatever to get to that level because this, like, you know what I mean? It's just clarity. And the biggest thing through all of this that I think is completely and just blatantly under-considered is people think the quality of life for their horse, like, okay, if they're staggering around on three legs and they're peeing into a bag, like maybe we should put them to sleep. Like, I think everybody kind of gets that gist, but like understand through this rehab process, the perspective and quality of life for your horse. Like keep in mind that you know what's going on. You know, the end game, your horse has no idea. Animals don't have the ability to like project in the future. Like this sucks now, but seven months from now I'll feel better. Like they don't know So it's important to be realistic about that and understand that like they live in the moment and their day-to-day moment is going to change. It's not going to be riding. It could be some more suffering. It could be unpleasant treatments. And so I think it's absolutely our responsibility 
to care for them. You know, you have an animal that's used to getting some turnout or used to getting some riding and all of a sudden they're in pain, they're in a stall and they don't understand why. They just know that their life has radically changed for the worse. So like I know when my mare was like not being ridden, there are so many people who are just like, they just completely think of their own convenience or what they have to do to like check the boxes for their horse but they don't think about that poor horse's perspective. So like I made an extra point to be at the barn every single day, just like I would, if I would ride, I would take her out of the field. I would hand graze her. I would feed her lunch. I would spend time grooming her because she loves to work. And I was able to, she did not have to go on stall rest, but it was, you know, I could have just as easily kicked her out in the field for two months and, you know, driven my car by and been like, all right, you're still alive. Um, And I think people neglect that a lot, which is a huge pet peeve of mine is like, they don't understand what rehab is. They just understand life has changed and it's less pleasant. And I think that's all like a really good point to make. I think it's important to keep their, their mental sanity. They don't know our good intentions. They don't know Mm -hmm. that there's an end game and that they, they just know what today is. And I think Mm -hmm. we just need to be mindful of that because it's easy to, you know, we can't meet our goals and we can't ride, but like, just tweak your goals a little bit, like come up with some rehab oriented goals that are a little bit different, but just continue to like, consider that they're entirely at our mercy for their just everything. And it's easy to forget that when we Mm -hmm. are just like, okay, well they're broken. So this is what we have to do to get them fixed, which I'm totally groundwork that can be done. Yeah. Right. And I'm totally on board Mm -hmm. with an aggressive treatment plan just as long as we are considerate of the fact that like, you know, they might need a little extra grace. Absolutely. That's super fair. Um, which um, brings us to point number seven. Mm-hmm. This one is have a professional or an objective third party set of eyes to aid in keeping your rehab on track. Oh, this is so helpful. Um, because we start to we go crazy. Li- yes. Um, I think some some people have a tendency to to have like wishful thinking and see things better than they are. And I think I tend to be a person that's more critical um, than is necessarily productive. And so it's really important to have somebody kind of not necessarily super regularly because then they kind of lose that third party um, objective viewpoint. But to have them just periodically like I have my trainer about like once a month look at my mare that's on the year long rehab, sometimes more frequently, but um, she just steps in and I'm like, all right, what does she look like now as compared to the last time you saw her? And she'll, she can like, oftentimes she's like, wow, you're really making progress. And it's something that I didn't feel was really progressing or I hadn't noticed cause I'm in it every day. And she's like, no, wow. I mean like, that's a totally different hind leg than the last time I saw her. And I was like, well, great. I didn't realize that. Like, it's just easy to get kind of bogged down in the daily details. And to also take into consideration that like, and we all know this, like if you stare at any horse long enough, you're going to be like, I don't know if they're sound or not. In fact, I'm not even sure how many legs that they have. I think I'm hallucinating. And so it's true. You know, we forget what a sound horse looks like, or we forget like no horse is perfect. And they're all going to have like, uh, I used to um, work with a vet who had the funniest saying, and she'd be like, that is not a lameness. That is a congenital gait abnormality and just like <laughs> understanding, you know, what is truly a performance or comfort 
disrupting issue and what is just like the way they move or the way they look or the way, you know, or just the way they're built. And sometimes we stare at them too long and I'm just like, I don't know what's happening. Mm-hmm. I don't, what's going on? I, yeah. <laughs> because according to my trainer, my horse looks totally perfectly sound. And according to me, I'm like, I still see this little tick on the right hind. And she's like, get on and keep going. <laughs> right. Which I think speaks to like the the sentiment that there's no high performing upper level horse anywhere in the world today that would cleanly and perfectly pass a vet exam that would cleanly and perfectly move like textbook perfect. Like, because we seek to reach a level of perfection, but perfect forget that like true textbook perfection doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And the longer we stare to try to see it, I think sometimes the more things we find that defy it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so which kind of leads really <laughs> nicely into point number eight, which is don't let your mind warp history. Um, and to to do this while I'm like kind of in the daily trenches, I take a lot of top line photos and take video frequently um, just so that I, I can try and have remain like objective and have an objective reference for the next time I need to make a comparison. Um the top line photos are really great for evaluating specific muscle groups. Um, and then I take video to kind of evaluate quality of gait and if she's changing the way she's moving based on a specific therapy that we've tried or a new treatment. Um, and I found that it is also typically a morale boost every time I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, I forgot that that's how bad it was. Because you just forget that every day you're making small incremental, hopefully, um, bits of progress and then like add it all up at the end of a month. They look dramatically different than they used to. But when you're in the grind every day, it's really hard to remain positive when you're just doing something as unglamorous as like 30 minutes of tack walking and it goes back to that document 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 like the more Mm -hmm. that you document the more you take control over what you remember as -hmm. opposed to like I remember how they trotted uh you know three months ago and I remember how they trotted two months and 28 days ago and I remember how they Mm -hmm. trotted two months and 22 days ago like do you do you really remember Yeah, because I like in my mind when I went back and I was like, oh, she just used to be moving so great around July. And then I went back in my in my phone and I was like, "Mm, she's moving a lot better now than she was in July. She moves a lot differently. Yeah. It's just like it's it's good to have something tangible to look back and because your your mind definitely warps things, Um, which I think beautifully transitions into number nine. Have an emotional outlet and don't exhaust it. And if you need multiple emotional outlets, that's okay too. I think especially for somebody that's like aggressively goal-oriented and maybe isn't so leisure-oriented, this is important. Um, Mm -hmm. Because you are, uh, you know, really... I don't know, it's just a much different type of setback. It is, because... Like for a professional or even like an aggressive amateur, this is a, this is, this is like life. This it's your animals are like your children, your, your career, your future, your friends. I mean, they're just so much, so closely tied to your identity that a blow like this can be very emotionally, uh, taxing and so sometimes like I was fortunate enough that I'm still riding other horses 
even when both of mine were down, I had, I have a bunch of other horses to ride. Um, and I also have Caroline and my husband that I would like vent to occasionally, but you just can't, you need some sort of outlet to either get back to the, you know, the, the joy of what you enjoy with horses or just like venting out some of the negativity or exhaustion that just, you just kind of like need to get out of your system. And then you can kind of try and get back on the positive train but you just have to like shed some of the weight of just like the rehab ickies and I think that you did a really good job of like and I think this is important to understand especially in the age of social media when so many people just like word vomit constantly uh we were listening to um a podcast and that got a supplementary email that talked about being like an emotional dumpster um like if you dump it's it's good to have people in your life and friends and family that you can just be like, you can just word vomit on. And Mm -hmm. that's such an important part of this. But then like you said, like, but don't exhaust it. Like be mindful that if like, if you call and word vomit the same thing on somebody every single day, you are going Mm -hmm. to just transfer your emotional regurgitation onto them. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, first of all, it's not constructive for us as the rider or the owner or the performer to live in Mm -hmm. that constant, like, state of disruption, but it's not fair to spread that to other people. And I think maintaining control of your mindset, which speaks to number eight and number nine, is, like, it's okay to have, like, a breakdown. It's okay to be upset. It's okay to be discouraged. But at the end of the day, like, you are singularly in control of your mindset And your perspective and your mindset is going to be your most powerful ally through all of this. And Mm -hmm. um, you absolutely can have emotional breakdowns, but try to like keep your cookies together within reason, I think. And I think you do a really fabulous job of that. Not always. I mean, I just cried myself to sleep the other night. (laughs) But um, that's quite literally... Not always. (laughs) But I try to. I usually when I have like I was telling my husband, I was like, I'm on the risk I'm on the I'm on the verge of having one of my Nora emotional breakdowns, but I'm gonna try really hard to to change how I'm looking at this and to do it differently this time. And it got me about three hours before I was crying and I was like, I made it three more hours than last time. good job you did it differently this time and I'm like yeah I did (laughs) (laughs) this is my favorite part of this conversation ever I mean sometimes I did cry myself to sleep the other night yeah it's it's so hard it is so hard um but at the end of the day you do have to pick yourself up and be like all right you know it doesn't change anything it's kind of like you can go there you just can't live there like, it didn't help my horse. Yeah, it did right. nothing positive other than like I vented out some of like some of the, the emotional yeah. build up. Just, but the most important part is you have to like, all right, step out of it, p- put your yeah. big girl pants on, and be like, I'm gonna go out and do something positive, something different. What can it's I do? It's kind of like going better? to the beach versus living at the beach. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you can go there, just don't live there. I mean, I guess if you wanted to live at the beach, you could, but like the novelty wears off pretty quickly if you live there, yeah, um, which I guess speaks really, really closely to number 10, which is, I think like the biggest thing to keep in mind through all of this is like, this is temporary. 
It is temporary no matter what. It's temporary. It's temporary if you get back in action in two months and you're back to regular riding. It's temporary if it takes you two years to rebuild your horse. It's temporary if your horse does not get rehabbed and you retire them or sell them or keep them as a pet and get a new horse. It's Mm -hmm. not, you're not going to be in recovery for the next five years. You know, it's, and that I think is the biggest part of like the rehab recovery kind of junction is like, you know, it doesn't last forever. That's, that's one of my favorite bullet points. It's really hard to um, remember on a regular basis, but it's very true. It is not the end of the world. Something good will come out of it. And, and through all of this, like readjust your goals, think of it as an opportunity to get a side hustle, you know, go take lessons in another discipline, go ride horses for somebody like there are, you know, so many things like you, you know, pick up some more client horses, you know, you started um, really capitalizing on the opportunity to ride more of your mentors horses, you know, there Mm -hmm. are there is opportunity in everything if you look with the mindset to find it, like you can always live in number nine and just camp out there forever. Or you can be like, all right, we had a little bit of an emotional breakdown today, but how can we move forward? How can we be positive? What else can we, you know, how can we pivot and channel this opportunity in a productive way? You know, what can I learn through this? And if what you can learn through this is simply nothing other than, you have learned how to rebuild a horse from zero. That's a spectacular skill set that a lot of people lack. And how that's going to complement you as a rider and an owner in the future is an excellent, you know, contribution to your career or your life as a horse owner or a rider. Right on. There's always a positive spin. It's, everything happens for a reason. Well, so, on that note, I think. Um, do you have anything else? Everything you is add? temporary, including this podcast including this podcast. So um, if you'd like to get in touch with Caroline or I, um, you can reach out to us on our Instagram. It's at equestrian underscore podcast. That's E-Q-U-E-S-T-R-I-E-N-N-E underscore podcast. Um, And our email is equestrianpodcast at outlook.com. And we would love Um, to hear from you. So shoot us an email, like us on Instagram, give us a follow Give us a five-star review and we'd love to hear some feedback, topics, what you think, you know, comments, suggestions. Um, We just love engaging with everyone. So we would be super tickled about that. Stay tuned for our next episode. I'm excited about this one. The next episode we're kind of brainstorming up is must-have skills every horse person should have. So we're pretty tickled about that one. Absolutely. We hope we see you all soon. Have a good day. Thanks for tuning in.